0: Welcome to the Riverview Church Podcast. Thanks for joining us today. Today we welcome back our Senior Minister, Tim Healy. But before we get into that, please take a second to subscribe to our podcast. Here's today's message from Tim Healy. Well, uh, thank you so much, Zach, for your um, spirit-inspired, God-honoring, people-loving, courageous leadership this morning. Um, Our world leads more leaders like you. And big thank you to the worship team for an absolutely outstanding time together again in the presence of God. I I really hope that you all felt the presence of God as powerfully and as intimately in your living room or in your bedroom as we felt Him right here in the auditorium. And I, I love the fact that no matter how separated we are or how scattered we might be, there's nothing that can stop us from uniting our hearts together in the presence of our God and bringing Him what He deserves, which is our worship. So what a wonderful, beautiful time we've already had this morning now of course today is the first Sunday in June can you believe it we are almost halfway through what is turning out to be the most remarkable year and despite everything that is going on in our world right now this is still for me one of the best times of the year because of course this weekend marks the beginning of our reach initiative and that will culminate at the end of June in our reach weekend and for those of you who are a part of the Riverview family you know how close reach is to our heart it's such a big part of who we are as a church. And it's such a wonderful thing for all of us to be involved in. And I love the fact that even though in this current season, we're not all able to meet in the same location, we can all still pull in the same direction. Uh, This may not be a season for gathering, but it can still be a season for giving. And so I love this time of the year because it gives us the opportunity to unite our faith and our hearts and our energy and our resource and to be the church by loving our city in Jesus' name in some of the most practical and personal ways. So I want to encourage you to just stay connected with us online, stay tuned in, watch out for communications, because over the course of this month, we're going to be telling you how you can be a part of REACH, and it certainly is a good thing to be a part of. Now, of course, um, in light of that, today we're kicking off a brand new teaching series called Live Out Love. Because after all, that is what Jesus has called us to do. He's called us to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love our neighbours as ourselves. And to get the conversation started today, I want to share a message with you that I've simply entitled Living in the Love of God. Living in the Love of God. Because here's the point, right? You cannot live out God's love if you are not living in God's love. You cannot and will not live out the love of God if you are not daily living in, enjoying and experiencing the reality of God's love. You've got to get the order right there because you cannot give what you don't have. You, you cannot pass on to others what you have not received yourself. And so you will struggle to love others the way God wants us to love others if you do not experience the reality of God for yourself, if you do not understand the unique nature of God's love and have it as your own personal daily experience. Um, this particular series has in part been inspired by these words from John in 1 John chapter 3, verse 17 to 18. And this is what he says. If someone has enough money to live well, And sees a brother or sister in need, but shows no compassion. How can God's love be in that person? It's a rhetorical question. The answer, of course, is obviously it isn't. Dear children, He goes on to say, let us not merely say that we love each other. Let us show the truth of our words by our actions. In other words, what John is saying here is that love is better demonstrated than declared. Right? Love does. Love acts. Love initiates. Love risks. Love is a decision that is fueled by a conviction that leads to an action resulting in a transformation. Shakabah. Right? That'll <laughs> preach. So you cannot live out the reality of that kind of love unless you are experiencing first and personally the unique nature of God's love yourself. Uh, John elaborates on this truth in 1 John 4, verse 16 to 17, when he says this, We know how much God loves us, and we have put our trust in His love. God is love, and all who live in love live in God, and God lives in them. And as we live in God, our love grows more complete. As we live in God, our love grows more complete." In other words, John is saying here that your love for others will only grow to the extent that you immerse yourself in the life and the love of God yourself. You cannot love others unless you are on the receiving end of the unique love of God. A little further down in the same chapter, just a few verses later in 1 John 4, verse 19, John makes it abundantly clear what he is trying to communicate here when he says we love because He first loved us. We love because he first loved us. In other words, understanding the nature of God's love and living in the reality of God's love is a prerequisite for living out God's love. And of course, you know, understanding God's love and receiving God's love and living in the reality of God's love can actually be more challenging than we sometimes think it is. Um, just a little while ago, I was talking to Ryan and Reese in uh, our podcast conversation. And I was talking about this struggle in my own life, uh, learning to receive the love of others. Uh, Sometimes we make the mistake of assuming that loving others is the difficult part. Because not everybody we are called to love is lovable. Not everybody we're called to love behaves in a lovable way. Uh, Not everybody we're called to love is necessarily, at least in our estimation, considered to be worthy or deserving of love. And so we sometimes mistakenly conclude that loving others is the hardest part. But the truth of the matter is sometimes receiving love can be equally difficult. And recently when I was going through my my own personal struggle with my, my mental health and my physical health and my emotional health, I found that there were many people around me who were trying to love me, who wanted to love me, but I wasn't open to receiving that love because I felt like I didn't deserve it. I felt like I'd let the team down. I felt like I let the church down. I felt like I let my own family down. And so I didn't feel like I was worthy of that love. People were trying to encourage me. They were sending me messages of support and I felt bad about it because I felt like I didn't deserve that encouragement. I didn't deserve that support. And God had to do such a deep work in me to bring me to the point where I could just let go and let people love me. Uh, that, that can be difficult sometimes. And I think sometimes it's the same in our relationship with God. I don't know why it is, but as human beings, we are just hell bent on proving to God that we are gonna deserve His love. We're gonna earn His love. We're gonna merit His love. When all God wants to do is just love us, just love us, not because of anything we've done, not because we earned it or deserved it, not because we've uh, pulled our socks up and got our act together and, and, and eliminated failure from our lives. He wants to love us on the basis of His grace and not on the basis of our performance, right? And so we've got to learn to receive and live in the love of God. And that is so important because as Bo Beau so beautifully said last week, living out love is not a strategy. It is an identity Living out love is not a strategy, it is an identity. It flows out of who we are as those who are loved by God, as those who have experienced and received the reality of God's love in our lives. Now, before I say anything about the incredible and unique nature of God's love, I want to just take a moment to make a very important point in relation to God's love as a foundation to what I'm about to say. So in 1 John chapter 4, verse 16, John says, God is love. God is love. Now you'll notice that John does not say love is God. He says, God is love. And when the Bible tells us that God is love, it's because God wants us to understand that it is who He is that defines what love is. You can't reverse it the other way around. You cannot take your assumptions and your presuppositions about what you think love might be and then superimpose it onto who you think God is. We have got to allow God in His self-revelation, in His self-disclosure to show us what true love is by revealing who He is. If you do it the other way around, you're gonna end up with some really strange ideas about God. So for instance, if you define in your estimation, love as tolerance, you might think then that God is tolerant. Well, you would be wrong because God isn't tolerant. There are so many things that God is not tolerant of. He doesn't tolerate sin. He doesn't tolerate evil. He doesn't tolerate wickedness. He doesn't tolerate injustice. He doesn't tolerate hatred. He doesn't tolerate idolatry and false gods. There are so many things that God is not tolerant of. Tolerance really at the end of the day is nothing more than mild indifference. Because when we practice tolerance, what what we do is we say, well, you be you and I'll be me. And if I give you the freedom to be you, you must give me the freedom to be me. And we essentially just ignore each other. Well, that's not love, right? Because love is not indifferent. Love cares. Love is concerned. Love is interested. Love is curious. Uh, Love seeks to understand. Love wants to know. Love tells you what you need to hear, not just what you want to hear. That is the nature of love. And so we have got to allow the revelation of who God is to show us what true love is love is and again the disciple john who is often referred to as the disciple of love elaborates on this in 1 john 3:16 he says we know what real love is because jesus gave up his life for us in other words john is saying here we know what love is because we know who god is and we know who god is because we know who jesus is because jesus came and lived amongst us and gave his life and not only demonstrated the true nature of love, but revealed the true nature of God, right? We, we don't preach love, we preach Jesus. And in preaching Jesus, we reveal love, right? So it is this revelation of God that shapes our understanding of what love is. Now with that as a foundational thought, I wanna take a moment to just share some insights into the unique nature of God's love some things that I think God really wants us to understand if we are going to receive His love, experience it and enjoy it. All right, so here we go. Just a few. Number one, the first is this. I believe that God wants us to understand that His love is eternally unconditional. The love of God is eternally unconditional. By that, I mean the love of God is not contingent on anything. Uh, It doesn't depend on anything for its existence. The love of God does not uh, emerge in response to something we do or something we are. God is, and God is love. In other words, it is simply there. And this love in its very nature is as eternal and immutable as God Himself. That's why the prophet Jeremiah said in Lamentations 3, verse 22, he said, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. In other words, the love of God has no beginning and it has no end. You cannot extinguish it. You cannot exhaust it. Uh, you cannot deplete it. The love of God is perpetual and eternal and immutable and unconditional in that it extends to us even though we don't deserve it. That's why Paul said in Romans 5 verse 6, the love of God is demonstrated in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. In other words, Paul is saying here that the extent of God's love is revealed in the fact that Christ was willing to die for the ungodly, for the unrighteous, and and therefore by implication, the undeserving. Uh, Paul makes it clear that Jesus wasn't the first person to die for somebody else. He wasn't the first person to be crucified. But what made the death of Jesus on the cross so unique was that it was a death, For the ungodly, a death for the unrighteous, a death for the unworthy, a death for the undeserving. I mean, Jesus himself said, No greater love has a man than this than to lay down his life for his friends. And then he went ahead and laid down his life for his enemies as well. In other words, the death of Jesus on the cross is a demonstration of the nature of God's love that transcends even the conventional understanding of what the ultimate definition of love is. That is the nature of God's love. So when the Bible says God loves us, it's really saying more about Him than it is about us. It's revealing something about His nature. Um, you know, for example, if I say, I love ice cream, well, that kind of says something about me, uh, about ice cream rather than about me, because ice cream is lovable, All right, Like if I say, I love extra creamy lint chocolate, Right? It says more about extra creamy lint chocolate than it does about me because extra creamy lint chocolate is lovable, right? And, and that is the nature of our love. It's almost inherently selfish because we love what we like. We love the strong and the powerful. We love the bold and the beautiful. We love the nice and the enjoyable. We love the things that bring us the greatest pleasure. Our love is fairly limited in that way. So when the Bible says God loved us, it really says more about Him than it does about us because the truth of the matter is, and I know this is hard to hear, we're not particularly lovable at the best of times. In fact, the prophet Jeremiah said that the heart of man is desperately wicked and deceitful above all things. Jesus said out of the heart of man comes murder and adultery and lies. Paul said that the works of the human nature, the manifestation of the human nature, he said is malice and wrath and fornication and drunkenness and revelry and witchcraft and the like. <laughs> I don't know about you. But sometimes I think, what is it that God sees in us? I don't know, right? But the fact of the matter is, friends, the truth of God's love is that He loves each and every one of us equally equally. Eternally and unconditionally, no matter who you are, what you've done, how many times you failed, no matter how disqualified you may feel, no matter how worthless and useless you may think you are, God loves you. And He doesn't just love us generally, He loves you personally and individually. So the love of God is eternally unconditional. The second thing that I reckon God wants us to know and understand about the nature of His love is that the love of God is selflessly sacrificial. The love of God is selflessly sacrificial. And I'm intentionally using the word selflessly there because how many of you know all sacrifice is selfless? Uh, We all make sacrifices all the time for so many different reasons, but very often those reasons are selfish. So I, I may sacrifice coffee in order to save money, to go on a holiday. Um, I might sacrifice sugar in order to lose weight and be more healthy. Um, I may sacrifice uh, sleep so that I can stay up late and binge watch Netflix, right? I mean, I mean, pray and read my Bible, but, but we all make sacrifices, right? We all make sacrifices, but very often those sacrifices are selfish in nature. And this is what makes the love of God so profound, And wonderful and beautiful in that the love of God is selflessly sacrificial. There is nothing that God gains from the demonstration of His love to us. There is nothing that God needs. There is no deficit that's met. There is no need that is fulfilled. God is complete in and of Himself. He is not dependent on us or anything. And yet God gives Himself up so that you and I can rise up into the reality of a life lived in relationship with Him. Freedom from sin and brokenness and bondage and pain. He does it completely and entirely altruistically. It is the purest form of love because it is completely selfless in its nature. John said in 1 John three sixteen, we know what real love is. Why? Because Jesus gave up His life for us, for us. A selfless sacrifice for us. We were the ones who benefited. We were the ones who gained. We were the ones who went from death to life. It was entirely selfless. Ephesians 5 verse 2, Paul echoes a similar sentiment. He says, therefore, be imitators of God as dear children and walk in love. As Christ also has loved us and given Himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God and a sweet smelling aroma. So, not only is the love of God eternally unconditional, but it is selflessly sacrificial. And then finally, the third thing that I really believe God wants us to understand about the unique nature of His love so that we can receive it and live in the reality of it is that the love of God is offensively radical. Offensively radical. Uh, Over in Luke's gospel in chapter 10, uh, Jesus tells a story that has sparked countless uh, acts of mercy and kindness and intervention and love down through the centuries. Uh, It's a story that many of us would know well, and uh, it's called the parable of the Good Samaritan. And in Luke chapter 10, verse 25 to 29, it says this, on one occasion... An expert in the law, in other words, uh, an expert in the Jewish religious law, stood up to test Jesus. That tells you something about the intent of the man's heart, his motive. He said, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, what is written in the law? How do you read it? All right, Jesus smells a rat, discerns something's going on here. So he takes the question, he throws it back on the man. and He says, well, what does the law say? How do you understand it? And the man replied, "Love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbour as yourself." Now, can I just hit pause here and say for a moment that the coupling of those two statements together is a Jesus saying? They don't they don't appear or occur side by side in the law. This is what Jesus has been teaching for the last few years publicly: love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbour as yourself. So this man answers Jesus' question by telling Jesus what he thinks Jesus wants to hear. How many of you know when somebody asks you a question that they already know the answer to, something's up, right? So the conversation unfolds and Jesus says, you have answered correctly, do this and you will live. But the man wanting to justify himself, right? There's the hidden agenda, there's the motive. Asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Now, how many of you know when this man asks Jesus, who is my neighbour, he doesn't want to know who his neighbour is. He wants to know who his neighbour isn't. He's looking for a loophole, for a disclaimer. He's wanting to get Jesus to narrow down the bandwidth definition of who constitutes a neighbour so that he can justify his separatist and exclusivist and elitist lifestyle. Because as a Jewish religious leader, that is exactly how he would have been living. As an elitist and exclusivist and separatist. But Jesus knowing the intent of his heart, responds with a story. And of course, it's the story of the the Good Samaritan. And you know it well, the story goes, a man was traveling between Jerusalem and Jericho and he gets mugged by a group of thieves. They beat him up, they steal his possessions and they leave him lying at the side of the road. So a few hours later, along comes a priest, a temple employee, a local church pastor. And uh, he's walking down the road. He sees the man. So he crosses over to the other side and he carries on walking. A few hours later, a Levite comes by, another temple worker, head usher, volunteer team leader. And he's walking down the road and he sees the man lying by the side. So he crosses over to the other side and goes on by. Then Jesus says, a few hours later, a Samaritan came by. And of course, the moment Jesus introduced a Samaritan into the story, the tension level just went up and you could cut it with a knife. Because we know from that context that there was a huge amount of enmity between Jews and Samaritans. They hated each other, right? And so Jesus introduces a Samaritan and He says, the Samaritan comes along, kneels down next to the man, bandages up his wounds, loves him, puts him on his donkey, takes him to an inn, pays for his accommodation and says to the innkeeper, if he needs anything else, take care of it and I'll cover the bill when I come back. And then Jesus says to the Jewish religious leader, so who acted like neighbor to the one who was in need? The Jewish religious leader rolls his eyes. He says, obviously the Samaritan. Jesus says, well, go and do likewise, right? Now there were so many things going on in the story. There's so much we could say about it, but really the purpose of the story from Jesus is twofold. Firstly, he's wanting to teach us that none of us can justify ourselves before God. So don't try. When we try to justify our sinfulness or our selfishness, Uh, or our waywardness, or our exclusivist, separatist, elitist lifestyles, Jesus will just dismantle it. So don't even try. But more importantly, what Jesus is doing is He's teaching us a valuable lesson about the nature of God's love. That God's love is radically inclusive. That the love that God has shown us, and the love that God would want us to show others, should extend to include everybody that there is nobody who is off limits. Of course, our human nature and our tendency is to love those we like and love those who are most like us. So we are then tempted to limit the mercy and the compassion and the grace we show to others who are in need. But it's as Thomas Merton said, our job is to love others without first checking to see if they deserve it. And this is the point that Jesus is making. Our love should extend to include the rich, the poor, the black, the white, the socially in, as well as the socially out, the Hindu, the Muslim, the Jew, the atheist, the conservative Christian, the liberal Christian, the refugee, the illegal immigrant, the heterosexual, the homosexual, the good, the bad, the ugly, the lot. Because that is the love that God has shown to you and to me. The radically, often offensively inclusive love of God and perhaps nowhere is this radically inclusive love more clearly articulated than in John 3:16 probably the only scripture you can quote for god so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever whosoever believes in him may have eternal life Friends, the love of god it's so beautiful it's so wonderful It's so unlike anything you and I have experienced from one another. It is eternally unconditional. It is selflessly sacrificial and it is offensively radical. But it is exactly that kind of love that has made it possible for you and for me to be in the family of God. It is that love that has made it possible for you and for me to be one in Christ. It's that love that has made sure that every single one of us are invited and included in the kingdom of God. And friends, it is only when you realize how much you have been loved by God that you are able to love others the same way. Today, I wanna conclude this message by just simply inviting you to bow your heads, to close your eyes, to open up your heart for a moment. As I pray the prayer that was prayed 2,000 years ago by a man who understood the love of God in the most deep and profound and wonderful way. A man by the name of Paul, the apostle, who wrote these words in Ephesians 3, verse 14 to 19. And today I pray them over you and I pray them over me. He said, when I think of all this, I fall to my knees and I pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth, I pray that from His glorious, unlimited resources, He will empower you with inner strength through His Spirit. Then Christ will make His home in your hearts as you trust in Him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And I pray that you may have the power to understand as all God's people should how wide, how long, how high, and how deep His love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. In Jesus' name, amen. thanks again for joining us today if you'd like to get in touch with us you can email us at podcast at riverviewchurch.com if you want any information about Riverview Church you can find that at riverviewchurch.com